All right, so are we doing this? I think we should do this. What's the what's the what's the plan? The plan need, is to drink do I need to beer. Take notes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm always ready to take notes. Okay. Um, the plan though is to drink two beers today. So we two, better two two old beers. <laughs> they, we better get moving. Okay. All right. So uh, two beers head to head. Or one after the other. I don't know. How are we doing this? Probably one after the other. One after the, well, Unless you have one of those really awesome hats. <laughs> Which I'm not going to mix them, straws. that's for sure. Yeah. No, these wouldn't mix well, I would guess. So, no. first beer is uh, one from a brewery that we've already covered once before. I don't know if it falls into a specific region, because he brews all over the place. Um, but from Evil Twin. So and people is, who listen to show 15 might might remember Evil Twin. We really like them. We we really do and it's it's an interesting one because everybody's talking about this that we know uh about be- how awesome a beer this is and I totally agree with them. Um the strange thing about this beer is it's a light beer. It's our first light beer. Well, it's, it's called a light beer. <laughs> oh, come on, um, you spoiled the surprise. It, it, so Molotov Light Right, and I I probably would have avoided it had I not heard from my friends uh, that they liked it. Yeah, they liked it, it a lot too. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, you know, we were watching sports ball and somebody broke out Molotov Light, and it was pretty good for watching sports ball. Um, it's actually a pretty pretty good beer. I had one last night for the first time. Yeah, it was one of those things where. Um we, when we did our recommendations and ratings show, we said that if somebody likes IPAs and they rate a, an IPA highly, we would probably pay more attention to the fact that they rated it highly. Yeah. And uh, a lot of IPA nuts said this beer is actually one of their top favorites um, after tasting it. And they were all kind of surprised the same way we were when they saw the, you know, the light L-I-T-E label. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's this weird cognitive dissonance because you look at it and it says Molotov light by evil twin brewing Imperial pale <laughs> India pale ale. <laughs> I know Imperial kind of contradicts light typically. Yeah, so a- I, I, I would say breaking it down here, um, it's like 8% alcohol. So for an Imperial, that's pretty low. Correct. Um, and they put right on the can 250 calories, right? They like actually list carbohydrates, Right. It's almost like health food. 22, 22 grams carbohydrates, 2 grams of protein, 0 grams of fat. So, woo, it's a health drink. It's a health drink. Um, yeah. So, like, I think they really do take it pretty seriously that it's a, that it's a light beer. I, as I seriously still say as Evil Twin two, takes 250, anything. Yeah, 250 calories for uh, 12 ounces is still a lot of calories. Yeah, but this is a um, pint. This is more than 12 ounces. Well, the yeah, but the... the um, Oh, the things for 12? Oh, I thought you're 12 right. Ounces, Serving size yeah. is 12. Okay, good um, But 250 calories is not bad for uh, a really flavorful, like, modern IPA, right? Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, I'm going to try so it So right it's, it's orangish-yellow. Um, I would say more orange than the namesake Molotov cocktail. Yes. Um, it's kind of a straw color. And it is uh, it doesn't have much you, of. You've a, already you've already jumped right in. I did. Uh, it doesn't Man, have that's much a lot, of a, a lot of um, <laughs> grapefruit on that. Yeah, huge grapefruit, both in flavor and smell. 
Not a lot of uh, head retention. My head's completely gone. I poured it maybe 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let's see. Are we supposed to report the temperature? So this one is... Um, <laughs> are we supposed because I, to? Because I was waiting for you to download files. This one is 50.7 mm. degrees. Oh, okay. And Perfect it's in temperature. And in my uh, pleasurable ribbed glass. <laughs> Ribbed for your pleasure. Yes. Yeah, I have. Um, I'm actually using uh, dual ribbed glasses today. Um, I, I don't even is that <laughs> ribbed for everybody's pleasure. Yeah, what everybody, is a dual ribbed glass? Well, I'm using two of them, one for each beer, oh. and they're both poured. <laughs> I thought this was yet another proprietary IPA glass no, with more ribs of my own design. Uh, yeah, it's just a long rippled tube. So go figure. Yeah. No, it's um, it's interesting because when I poured the um, the other beer in, I poured them in right around the same time. The the beer that we're going to talk about next uh, still has a fairly healthy amount of bubbles coming up, but the Molotov light just kind of just kind of sits there, and which is totally fine. I'm not one of those guys who needs to examine the lacing on the glass or anything, but um, just something worthy. Uh, of note, but man, it is a. S- I, I actually like it, it being less carbonated. I'm one of those guys that will kind of like aggressively pour a beer to get some of the carbonation out. Mm. Yeah, that's a good it, idea. I don't like how it makes me feel, like having all that gas in my gut. Well, it also um, changes the flavor a it little does, bit. Yeah, yeah. it stirs it up and uh, causes the volatiles to kind of escape. Yep. But um, this is- I, li- I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. This is a really, really excellent IPA. It's got. Um, Strong character of grapefruit and apricot and pineapple in it, um, but a really nice long bitter finish to it. Yeah, I was just going to say that the, the pronounced bitterness at the end for me is really uh, pretty cool. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with it. It, it is. Uh, it lingers up for front, a very up front long it's time. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, but not like a resin kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. And this, um, it doesn't take, it's not real heavy. It's not cloying at all. It's a, it's kind of a, a, um, I wouldn't say it's a light beer, light drinking beer. I mean, it's still kind of, you know, a little syrupy, but, um, it's not, it's not clobbering you with flavor. So to me, the Molotov cocktail is really upfront with the syrupy sweetness. Yeah. And then finishes with bitterness. Um, Which covers the alcohol in that a lot more. I would say for 8%, the heat is really prominent on on this as an 8% beer. I like it. It's nice. The alcohol is really noticeable um, when I drink it, but clearly 8% is less than many of the double IPAs we enjoy. Yeah. Maybe the next one, too. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the next one actually is as far as designation goes. We'll get into that in a second, I guess. But uh, you have to take some notes on this, don't you? <laughs> yeah, here we go. Let me break <laughs> out my notes. Uh, yeah, so what's the what's the nerd topic? So the nerd topic today, I think, is something that you and I have been talking about for a really long time, which is we talk about it with each other. We've talked about it on our respective websites, uh, which is the topic of taking notes, uh, how we take notes. What does it mean to take notes? Specifically meeting notes. Yes, correct. I think that's what I asked for because, uh, note notes are a lot more complicated yes. based on the context. So, uh, meeting notes. Yeah. I attend a lot of meetings, a lot. I'm a professional meeting attendee. 
in a professional meeting scheduler. <laughs> so am uh, I. I'm, I make my living booking rooms and inviting people to be in those rooms. I am very <laughs> much in the same boat. Yes, I attend uh, a lot of them. And uh, I think this topic ranges sort of far and wide. There's something that I don't know if you want to get into, um, but I think one of the, so there's a few th- things here. One is we want to cover what does it mean to take some notes? Uh, do you do it electronically? Do you do it on paper? Um, how do you do those things? But I think there's another piece to this, which is something I've been contending with for years. And I know you and I touched on this in other conversations, which is uh, other people's perceptions of how you take notes. So if you take notes on an iPad, or I used to take notes on my iPhone, which made it look like I was texting people the whole meeting, or if you take notes uh, on a laptop, which makes it look like you're checking your email the whole meeting. So I'd like to talk about some of that stuff at some point too. Okay. Maybe this meeting, uh, maybe this uh, show, or or maybe this meeting, uh, or maybe down the road. <laughs> I guess but, this uh, is a meeting. <laughs> it's sort of, we scheduled it and we attended uh, it's it. It's unlikely I'm taking notes. I, so I, I'm not taking notes either. I've, uh, I've got two beers here. My hands are busy. <laughs> I um, wish I took all notes like this. All right. So do you take notes on an electronic device or paper or whiteboard or what, what's your method of, of meeting notes? Um, does it, does that, does it change based on my the, current method? Uh, has not changed. In fact, I just was uh, e- extremely stubborn about how I took notes uh, I've been using a MacBook Air at work for probably three years, maybe a little bit longer, different MacBook Air, but still the same <laughs> same computer, essentially. And I, I was using an iPad for a little while, but it wasn't quite as effective. But essentially, I have um, one file that I start every week uh, that is my weekly meeting notes file. I have a a text expander snippet that creates the file, uh, whether it's in Sublime Text or NVAlt. And every meeting I sit down and I type new meeting, which is a text expander snippet that puts a uh, markdown header of the date, the time. Uh, You're you're jumping ahead. Okay. You you just... I just wanted wanted to hit on your answer to my first question. First question is I take notes on a laptop... All on day a long. computer. Com- okay. Yep. And you take the computer with you everywhere to your meeting. Yep. Okay. Um, and you write all into one file. All into one file yep. for the week. The entire week. Okay. All right. I, I definitely want to hit on that later. Um, so you don't do you don't use paper like pen and paper. I carry around a field notes, um, and I will often have that sitting next to me, but. Uh, it's not used that often. It's only used maybe if I need to do like scratch out some numbers, do a quick calculation or something like that. But generally don't take notes anywhere other than in sublime text in single document. Okay. What about Hmm. you? Um, it's based on who I'm working with. I'm guessing you work with a lot of other nerds that are computery nerds. Um, yeah, uh, I think we touched on it before. I manage uh, several uh, software development groups, so right. they okay. range. Okay, so so they're not they're used to seeing computers in meetings and right. seeing people use them all the time and in meetings. I split my time between working with other nerds, computer nerds, and I guess science nerds. Ah, um, and so I I bring a different 
note-taking tool based on who I'm working with. I prefer to work on a computer, uh, mostly for my notes, because uh, it's just more convenient for me. Because I I put everything into an electronic format eventually, so I can just do it straight into a computer, uh, and that's easier. But when I'm working with people that might behave differently or, you know, subconsciously get an, a different attitude about the meeting. If I have a computer out in front of me or an iPhone or an iPad or whatever I'm using, uh, I bring, in that case, I bring, uh, bring my paper notebook, which is always with me anyways. So, so, it, so to you, me, it's not a big deal. Do you transcribe it then at, at the do. end of the week, yeah. at the end of the meeting? What do you do? Usually after the meeting, based on if I have back-to-back meetings or not, you know, sometime during that day, I'll transcribe it. Uh, if I wait too long, sometimes it's hard for me to read what I wrote and understand understand <laughs> what I was like scribbles. quickly scribbling down yeah. and my little shorthands that I put in and stuff like that. So I like to do it relatively close to the meeting. Plus, I like to make sure that there's actionable things at the end of the meeting and send responses to people and follow-ups and stuff like that. So. I, I think my, um, my note-taking took off to, to – be actually something useful when I started using my laptop. Before then, I had notebooks that I would carry around, and it was for a lot of the same reasons that you use them, which is that your perception uh, when people see you carry a laptop into a meeting does change things. And when I'm working with nerds, it's fine. But when I'm sitting in a meeting with upper management and they think that you're checking your email, um, it is... uh, it's disruptive. At the same time, I worked in a very small company, and this is this could be probably the topic of another show, but I kind of felt like it was my role as one of the main technologists in the company to change that attitude of, you know, where's your legal pad? You know, or you're checking email or Twitter. Why aren't you, you know, why is your laptop open? Um, and well, I, let, let's be frank though, like that sometimes that um, suspicion is deserved. Like I've been in plenty of meetings where people are sitting there like churning through email while they're, while the meeting's going on. No, I think that's, that's def- definitely a large part of it. That's why um, for a long time I would fight that perception by sending out meeting notes at the end of the meeting. To everybody yeah, like who's immediately, there. Immediately, that's yeah. that's always pretty impressive when somebody does that. Like by the time you get back to your desk or your office or whatever, you have an email with a summary of the meeting. That's... Yeah, and because I type them all in Markdown, it's like a formatted email of everything that everybody said with a list of right. attendees and major topics and a list of takeaways at the bottom. It does depend on the the group that I'm talking to. So I'm sit- if I'm sitting down with a QA group, they know that I'm taking notes. Um, but if I'm sitting and so I don't need to send out you know, a meeting minutes like that very formally. Mm-hmm. But if I'm sitting with somebody who, you know, is, is expecting follow-ups and stuff like that, or I feel there's some sort of a perception thing, which I think is much less, like everybody takes their laptops to meetings now. Like, but when I started doing it, I was the only one who did it. So yeah. uh, hopefully either it's I just... I think it is becoming more more acceptable. And it's not just whether or not it's accepted. I don't think I've ever been to a meeting where somebody was... Actually, I have. I've been to meetings where, where they had a standing rule, no electronic devices during the meeting. Mm, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I've, I've for, seen that too, you know, by the to, way. To force participation and make sure that you're actually paying attention to the meeting. And I understand that then I think that's I think the rules of the game are changing 
people expect to be able to like reference things on the fly during a meeting and look things up and get, you know, in, in my case, like they'll get data or they want to show something that's part of the user interface as part of the discussion. Um, yeah, I, I, I get the and same it, thing. It always yeah. feels like uh, in a meeting, there's one person with a computer doing the presentation and they're like in control of everything because if you need to look anything up, you have to request them to look it up to show it on the screen, right? And now it's shifting to like somebody else can look it up and turn their laptop around like, see, look here, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, to kind of steer back to meeting notes, I think that if you're if you're taking them and they are, and we'll get into how I take them and why I take them the way I do because it is pertinent to what we're talking about at this moment. But I do I do think that... Um, there, it really still depends on the meeting. There are times when I'll close my laptop when I want people to realize that I'm, you know, I'm not taking notes right now. We're having a do, do a you discussion. slam it close? <laughs> no, um, okay. I don't. But it's, good, it's a good effect too. <laughs> well, it's really anticlimactic on on a MacBook Air because it just slowly, you know, it makes almost no noise. Um, but uh, there's a couple of pitfalls there, which is. Um, I, I often try and be as as efficient, man, it sounds nerdy, in meetings as I can. So if somebody says, oh, you know, Joe Schmo doesn't have GitHub access to that repository, and I am the guy who's the admin on our GitHub thing, I'll usually just, you know, go to Alfred, type uh, command space, Alfred, uh, open Safari, go to GitHub, add that person's account, and be done in like 40 seconds um, while the meeting is still churning. While the right? meeting still churning, right? So people are like, why did you... So A, it's yeah. great that you did that, um, but you weren't paying attention for 40 seconds. B, you know, so you're weighing that versus the fact that I don't have another to do when I get back to my desk and this person when they get back and do the thing I asked them to do immediately and not have to wait. So I do think that uh, I've stopped doing that. I just add it as a to-do, and I do it after the meeting. Even if it seems like it might be more efficient, it's not worth the perception of you're not listening to the meeting. That's actually a really good point and something that I, I have noticed is when I don't take a computer, I'm less compelled to do, do work on whatever the project is we're meeting about, right? Like oh, well, since we're already here, let me just tweak this live while we're talking about your requirements. I can just, oh, here, I've implemented this requirement now. Like, it kind of starts to spiral out of control a little bit. It does, and I think... Eventually, it's like... You've heard of pair programming. It's room programming. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the whole room is sitting there while you're implementing a, a function or something. Yeah, but it also changes people's perception of what you're doing during the meeting, which is, yeah. is not helpful in a lot of ways. So I, I think it is definitely, you have to be really cautious about how you're doing that. If you're doing it in a in a team status meeting with two other people and it's more collaborative than informative, it might make sense to do that. Um, but so, if, so what about the times where you're a presenter? When I'm a presenter, um, yeah, I mean, so how do I handle meeting notes when I'm a presenter? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so if that's the case, I usually just use the field notes to jot things down. Okay. Um, and I'm usually presenting, uh, you know, again with the MacBook Air, and we have these big monitors that we, you know, fill up a wall for the for the meeting room. So I can't obviously take notes. Um, but every once in a while, if it's something that I want to make sure uh, people need to see, I mean, I'm I am not averse to, 
you know, showing people my weekly note file if they need to. If I need to jump over it and, and clarify a point or see who is in a meeting because I have attendee list at, at the tops of, of every one, I'll just hop over there really quickly. And um, since it's all in one file, do a quick search, find the meeting I was talking about. And I think it also helps cement and has cemented over over the years that that um, everything's captured usually when I'm sitting in the room. So yeah, it, it there can also be um, secondary benefits and detriments to doing that. Uh, I've I've opened up my task list, which is also usually my notes list, um, and in a meeting while it's being projected, sometimes it's like, whoa, you have a lot of stuff. So let's now I understand when you're like let's nail down your requirements to exactly what you need. Why, why you're saying that? Because I see you have like hundreds of items <laughs> yeah. on your list. <laughs> but the downside um, is what? I'm curious to hear what that is. The downside is usually uh, people are like, what the heck is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, because, because it's like plain text. You have your own special right? code and, and for I have things my own too. Yeah. Annotations and notes and, like it's specially formatted and it's more of like this like confusion sets in <laughs> and I don't really want to spend the meeting talking about how I do notes or tasks or any of that stuff. And so it, it becomes a distraction. Yeah. And, and so I, I tend not to ever bring it out when, when it's, when I'm projecting, it, it's just not worth it. Yeah. For the it, 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 sake. it definitely doesn't happen that often. And that's, that's why I have the field notes or just some paper notebook next to me and I'll, Put some. Uh, my see another reason why I take notes electronically is my handwriting is beyond terrible. It's a scrawl. I find it uncomfortable to write. <laughs> Thanks. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, for me, I'd rather not write anything. And uh, I don't know. There was a few years ago. Uh, it was probably a Mac Power users with Merlin Mann, <laughs> one of those epic ones, where. I, it really got me thinking about plain text and plain text notes and markdown. And I thought to mm. myself, if I could have at my fingertips all meeting notes for the last two years and search on project names and stuff and come up with every meeting that we talked about that project, it would be such mm-hmm. a hugely powerful workflow for yep. for how I do things. And, and it really spurred me to action using mostly NVAlt in those days. But now Sublime Text for the note-taking, I can always search using NVAlt if I need to. But it really, I think my notes go all the way back to 2012 this way. Yeah, um, that's powerful. Yeah, it's like, huge. I, I, I've, I do the same thing. And because I transcribe everything into plain text and it's all in one place, looking back and like I've had cases where it really saved my bacon. Because yeah, somebody had told me like the schema owner name during a meeting and I captured it in the meeting notes and that was the only place and that person's gone. Right. Yep. And no one wrote it up in a one pager. And I was like, Oh, this is the schema owner. I don't have to now do for like some Oracle forensics yeah, project yeah. in order to figure out how we're going to access this thing. Um, so what do you do about things that aren't pertinent to, do you have some place that you capture things that may not be totally pertinent to a meeting, but you want to capture? Like, do you write those things down in a notebook at a separate page? Uh, do you have a separate, like... You mean my, like, thoughts? Yeah. Or yeah, like when you're sitting, it might not like be that. something that's pertinent to the exact meeting, but it makes you think of something else, and, and it may be related, but not 
a meeting. Yeah. Note. So lately, so about a year ago, I switched to using task paper format full time for like task management, and that's changed how I do notes in general. So I I tend to take notes within my task manager now. Yeah, you've mentioned um, that. So explain what the hell you're doing because that sounds so confusing <laughs> to me. <laughs> so task paper format, you know. I'm sure we'll put a link somewhere, right? And or just look up task paper format, and uh, it's plain text where a project is a line that ends with a colon, and then indented below that, uh, you you start a line with um, a dash and then a space, and that's a task. And it's just plain text, right? You can write whatever you want, but if you indent and then just start writing without a a dash and a space, it's a note. And the nice thing about those is based on like whatever application you're using to view it, you can fold at various levels. You can fold all kinds of stuff. And so I really like that when I go into a meeting, I'll start at my task list and basically take my notes in line in like that meetings, that day's task of, you know, go to the, do this meeting, right? Then when something in the meeting note becomes a task, I just add a dash and a space in front of it. And now I have a new task. Yeah. Like it's it's now something I can execute on and it shows up as like a task in other applications that view the same file. It's just a really convenient way to go from a note to an actionable item. Um, so like I'm working on a project right now where we're testing some software and I need admin access to the use the the pilot team's machines so I can do installs and configurations right. Um, so I have a note that is basically like the person's name, their machine ID, and then uh, that gets converted to a task to like do the install. And I have everything right there. And then when I'm done, I can remove the the dash you know in front of it, and I have a running list of all the machine IDs now like everybody. So if I need to connect to them hmm. again in the future to do something, it's right there in my task list buried inside of a note section. I could just fold it when I don't want to look at it. Um, it's pretty It's pretty nice. And then I end up with like all my projects in one view. The downside is it gets pretty long. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It, it gets lots and lots of stuff in there. So I will occasionally break out like archive notes. Like as a project proceeds over the course of maybe a year, I'll break things out as like project notes and put them in a separate file for that project. Do you have how many projects do you, how many um, distinct unrelated projects do you do? Oh, I can tell you right now. Um, one, in a, two, like three. in a, at a given time, um, probably between three and 10. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Same, same idea here, like between three and however many, we imagine I'll accomplish in that year. <laughs> yeah. um, and these so are things that are being What do you do when everything's on. completed on a project? Um, I generally, so so the way I use task paper, and we can talk about our task management system. I, I have that as a... And I didn't want to go too far yeah. into that, but for me it's relevant because it's also where I take meeting notes. Yeah. Um, so what I'll do is um, I have all my tasks mixed with some notes. My notes generally take the format of what the project is, what it's about, and then like notes on scheduling and timing, but then the tasks fall underneath it. Mm -hmm. um, and all of my projects have code names at work um, so that we don't have any conflicts with version numbers or if one version number gets moved to 
be before another version number. You don't have any sort yeah. of note nightmares, uh, note uh, spec changing nightmares. So, um, so I have a, a project task list with a few notes in it. But when I usually, so like I said before, I, I create a weekly note file, and that thing is always every meeting note section that I take has that project name in it. So if I need to search for anything related to that project, if I go into NVAlt or if I go into, if I do a search in Sublime Text for all open files for that project name, it'll identify the notes for that file, the meetings I was in that file, tasks for that file, a uh, project rather. And um, it really works well because the file doesn't get, the task file doesn't get super long. And the note file at the end of the week is pretty big, but it's great because everything is arranged kind of temporarily, you know, so I can see, well, we worked on that thing in early spring. So I know that it's going to be, you know, one of these 15 files that I, that I need to look through, um, which is right, this, pretty This is going to be weird. This is like arguing with somebody about their favorite color. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but that seems bonkers to me. Mm-hmm. So does taking notes in the middle from, of your from from somebody that file. like well before I moved to task paper I kept like a project note file okay and one project per file um, because then when I wanted to see everything related to that project I could go to one file okay and view the whole entire thing and within that file it's arranged temporally <laughs> as you, as you, in a time based manner yes okay. Um, so I can see from like bottom to top, top is always newest. I append to the top. Okay. Um, so from bottom to top, I can see how the project progressed in one continuous file. But it seems nuts to me that if you want to see everything related to a single project, you're jumping between files over the course of 52 weeks in a year. My projects de definitely are not that big. Um, oh, okay. My projects de uh, tend to be two months max. So, oh, wow. it, okay. so, so we, we tend to chunk things so that we can get things done quicker. It's not completely agile, but it's, it's, we make things smaller cause we want to have quicker, smaller releases. So I see. So you, you were specifically in a software world. I'm in a, um, what I call it more of a platform world, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, a, a specific technology platform evolves over time. And so my projects can run multiple years. Yeah, that I think I'd have to change my workflow to something okay. more like you're doing if I did right, that. So your favorite color is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's right just for me, Gabe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, 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 I like this methodology right now. And like I said, I've been using this weekly meeting list format for quite a while. I, as you're aware, I was at a, a work conference last week. And it was cool because I used the same, the same scenario. You know, I created mm -hmm. my weekly file, and every track and presentation that I went to yeah. was related. Um, that I can search on feature lists and version numbers that these people talked about. It's going to work uh, great for for presenting to my boss and bosses, you know, over what was covered in the in the um, in yeah, the conference. Right. So it, I mean, it, it, but but that's all like in that case, the project is the conference almost. Exactly. That's the way I would view it. Yeah, exactly. Right? And and buried within the that project slash conference are like goals that you're 
accomplishing. Yeah, uh, or are, in this case, it was like or sessions whatever. or you know tracks or whatever you want to, mm-hmm. however you want to yeah, do yeah. it. No, so, that's how I do meeting notes when I go to a conference. Same idea. I mean, I think the the one downside to this method and doing everything in Sublime Text right now is, and we talked about this before when I started moving over to it, is that the search is not quite as powerful as the Envy Alt search. So yeah. uh, the Envy so Alt, especially searching over. Mul- a collection a of collection notes. of documents. It's and, and I still keep NVALT in my doc for that reason. Uh, I use it mostly for that type of archival searching. But you know, I'm I'm building up a little library of searches yeah. for these files that I'm looking at pretty much on a daily basis. So during the week, I have usually a few task paper files open and one meeting file and. And once I called a scratch file, that was kind of related to that question I was asking earlier. Like, if you have an unrelated note, what do you do with it? Yeah. Um, I'll either put it in the field notes or I have a, I create a scratch file every week, which is just re- assorted junk. You know, just things that mm-hmm. they may not be related to a meeting. They may be important enough to write down, but not important enough to file away. Um, and then at the end of the week, I'll go through and say, is any of this stuff important to move to? someplace, a project or whatever, if yep. it really is junk, like a password that's no longer, you know, uh, it was like a Wi-Fi password at the conference. I just wrote it in there. If I forgot it for some reason, it was there, but at the end of the week, it means nothing. So I, I keep a scratch file around for just assorted notes that um, I create created a, a little naming convention. It's this, you know, scratch space and then a, a, a timestamp uh, for yeah, so yeah, I do. I do something similar for scratch files. Yeah, it's good. I um throw throw everything in there and then periodically like expunge it. Although I have had cases where scratch where something I thought was scratch ended up being having. Uh, yeah, I don't expunge value, them. <laughs> value well into the future. Yeah, uh, I, I expunge them by moving them to an archive. Ah, so so, so you you mentioned so, archive a few times. How do you? What do you mean archive? Is it at the bottom of I have a file? Folder so, just called oh, okay. Note Archive and. I move notes into there when I don't want them in my main note collection anymore. I try not to delete anything because bits are cheap. Right. And, like, and you, you never know. know. And text files are super, super thin, like, you know, so do those things? So the things in that archive, do they show up in, in whatever searches that you're doing? I, I assume. Yeah. So. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. No, I, I treat my archive completely separately. It's, 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 it's like, dead to you. Yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> your attic in your house versus your closet. Like, the closet is where I go to, like, immediately look for a coat or shoes or my gloves. And the attic is where I go to look for a game that I played in 1997 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in a box and sealed up, ah, right? Yes. That's my archive. I don't exp- I don't want to trip over it all the time. And especially in something like NVALT, which does full text search. It matters, like, how many results I get back. I don't want to get back 300 files, you know, when I search on a project name. When you only or, care about three of those files. That makes yeah, sense. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I use one huge directory, which I've often thought, like, I guess I should I should do some sort of an archiving, but it really hasn't been an issue for me yet. I find I, think I, I have, I think I have, right now I have, like, 1,200 files <laughs> in just my active note file. Holy crow. Or note directory, so. You're not like skimping I, I on space. I don't know what I would do if I kept all of them. And like, that would be thousands and thousands of files. I think I consolidate uh, things into like larger files yeah. than you do. Cause I don't okay, think I I'm have at, that I'm many. at 1154 files in my notes folder. Let me see what mine is. I can look. This is 
compelling listening, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I have, uh, oh, I only have 900 in here. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's still 900 is a lot. It, it is. I mean, um, it's, it's but not that as much as I thought. All, all your stuff. Yeah, all my stuff. And it goes. All right, we're, we're about halfway through, so I want to move on to the next beer before it warms up too much. Let's do that. All right. And uh, do you want to do you want to say anything else before we transition and, and ruin our palates uh, um, <laughs> about about this Molotov Light? I would say I really really like it, and um, I'm noticing a lot more pepper and a little bit of anise. Like to me, a little bit of spiciness is coming out in it now. Yeah, and it's certainly not gotten worse. It's it's really bitter. As it's gotten warmer, it's gotten more bitter, um, but not in a bad yeah. way at all. I mean, I love Warm, bitter beers. So. Uh, I'm at like 58 degrees now on mine. That's probably around what mine 58. is. 58.4. Nice. <laughs> so, so my other beer, which has been sitting here getting warmer and warmer, is in a Nonic glass because I have um, Stone brand Nonic glasses. Oh, I don't even know what you know, that is. A, uh, there's a, those pint glasses that kind of like bubble out near the top a little bit. Oh, okay. Like a, like I would call them like a traditional British pint glass. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I'm sure if you're British, please write in and tell me what a traditional British pint glass looks like. <laughs> um, they kind of bul- have a bulge about an inch yeah. down, but then it then it pinches back in again. Yeah, and this this one's at uh, what fifty five fifty five point four degrees, um, and contains. One of what I think defines the West Coast IPA styles. I first heard of this uh, beer um, when Will Wheaton tweeted about it. And I thought to myself, what a strange name for a beer. (laughs) Arrogant Bastard. Arrogant Bastard Ale. Um, Really has grown on me to be one of my, I wouldn't say it's a go-to, but it's certainly an awesome representation of whatever form of beer this is it says it's an ale so let's just you know sure why not um but i think you're you hit it on the head to me this is the quintessential super strong west coast ipa in that it's it's different from say a lagunitas or something where i think they they have a really awesome uh, West Coast IPA style uh, in, mm-hmm. in terms of color and nose and all this stuff. Arrogant Bastard is just everything about it is dialed up to 11. So <laughs> the color is like a deep caramel brown. Yeah, that, it's it's a dark IPA. Yeah. Right? It's it's a it's not caramel. To me, this is close to like almost a coffee color. Yeah, it's on this darn thing. dark. And maybe a light and the, coffee. The or, malts or, actually are like really uh, prominent in it, right? Like in in compared to in most IPAs, would you say in the Molotov Light that you could taste the malts? No, not at all. Yeah, completely masked. They're 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 just basically there um, to support the hops. Whereas I think Arrogant Bastard, it's it's like there as a piece of the flavor. Yeah, and it's. Um, Boy, it's and really... I, w- I want to drink this I'm, so bad. I'm tasting it right now. Oh, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> I'm jumping right in. It is... Um, it's really well, more well-balanced than I remember it being. Mm. Man, that's some coffee that right there. 
Yeah, I would recommend. That is such a great beer. It really is awesome. And the, it, it, to me, it's like summer barbecue. Yeah. It's got a little tiny bit of smoke, which I think comes from those darker grains. Um, and the bitterness is there, but it's not like, it's not a palate wrecker. No, it's not right? a palate wrecker. It's not record. a green flash palate wrecker. Uh, you, you get the sweetness of the malts, but not, it's not a sweet beer either it's just it's a nicely balanced beer <laughs> you know for something that's you know prides itself on being an arrogant to bastard me it of tastes like um it's a british bitter but with a lot more hops yeah yeah i could with I, a lot more hop character that's obvious in it um and this is actually only 7.2 yeah i boy it's better than I remembered it being, and I had it fairly recently. And maybe it's because I'm drinking it warmer than I did before. It seems smoother, not quite as aggressive as it was it the is. last time. And carbonation is uh, low mm-hmm. on it. Well, I still have a head on this beer, and I poured it before we started recording, which I find interesting. Um, now, m- maybe that's a tons factor of, pro- of the- tons of protein. Yeah, I think it's also a factor of the glass. You know, you, you can see the bubbles kind of bubbling up. You know, kind of coming up that rippled side of the IPA glass. Uh, no, I still have I still have a nice amount of foam on the top of this. Yeah, in in the Nonic. Oh, you do? Okay. Um, yeah. No, it's it's a malty beer. Malty beers have you know thicker heads mm-hmm. that last longer. Not a lot of smell to it. It's good, mm, I can totally a little fruity. I can smell the roasted grain. Definitely like a bready, bready flavor to it. And the flavor is um awesome. Mm. This is a bomber too. This little, is a 22, of, 22 ounce bottle. A little bit of like um raisin. Yeah, I get a little bit of like a raisin, like a dark fruit like I would a, say raisin bread, but there's no cinnamon flavor to it. Yeah, like but a raisins or figs or something like that. In in malty. Um and then this uh pretty pleasant bitterness to it for for I think what most people consider to be a strong IPA. Yeah, I think if you were confronted with this beer and its marketing without um you know, like if you look at the bottle, you have one impression. But if somebody handed you a glass of this stuff at the temperature that it's out right now, um, I think you'd taste this and be like, this is really kind of a nice, easy drinking IPA. You know, it's got a well, malty when, character. When this came out in 97, it was like a slap in the face. Yeah, I'm sure IPA. it was. Yeah. In 97, this wasn't how most people experienced beer. Um but now I would say it's really tame compared to a lot of the well, things we consume. Well, the bitterness right? of we the now, Molotov we cocktail. We now drink like wood varnish, <laughs> um, and it's it's a now it's extremely mild in in those terms. Um, for what I would say, what would you say? Uh, probably, um, I don't know, at least eighty IBU on this. Boy, I don't know. I'm going to take a look and see if it's in Tap Cellar. I don't know if you've checked. Sometimes we have that data in there. No, there's no IP, IBUs well, listed. Well, they, they say everything's secret, so whatever oh. whatever it is is all make-believe. <laughs> um, just like um, if you look up like the clones, if you want to try and brew this yourself, mm-hmm. all of them are Chinook, but uh, Stone does not reveal what hops are in it. Mm. So it's probably Chinook. Um, we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chinook are hops. 
hop variants mm-hmm. yeah. for those of mm-hmm. you who don't know. Um, yeah. might, might also be a type of salmon. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I don't think it has salmon in it. Let's hope not. Uh, it doesn't taste like it anyway. I would say if you are interested in a nice, strong, kind of malty, full-bodied, but not objectionable beer, this is definitely one you can go f- reach for. Um, this is... I can't remember if my wife has tasted this one. We were in North Carolina for a summer trip, and I got um, a bomber of this, 22-ouncer of this, and a six-pack of Dale's Pale Ale. And I think that she preferred the Dale's, but she was just starting drinking beer back then. So I think, you know, Dale's has that kind of really classic, well... I'd say new classic, you know, profile new, of what, new, new classic. <laughs> new classic. I'm just nice. made, just made that up. Uh, of you know what we consider is kind of the East Coast take of the West Coast IPA in a way. Yeah. You know, and Has she had um, Double Bastard or any of the other in the line. She her favorite beer is Lucky Bastard. Oh, Lucky Bastard's good. Yeah, she. Yeah. Um, when we went down the street to the local pub, they had uh, a keg of Lucky Bastard, and she could not get over how good that beer was. And that is yeah. a really, that's a really bitter one. Um, we we covered that in a previous show, and we mm-hmm. both quite liked it. And I think this one is a is like a tamer version of that beer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say Lucky Bastard is closer to Double Bastard, which is. Definitely a double IPA. Um, I have a bottle of that in the basement. Same too. thing with Oaked Bastard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had that. That's very good. Um, that is not, good. Not one of my not one of my favorites. I don't. It's it's purely oak. It's not like bourbon barrel. There is a bourbon barrel version. I've had a bourbon barrel, and I've ha- had the Oaked Bastard. I um, have you had Southern Chard? That's what no, I want. That sounds bizarre. So our yeah. our mutual uh, friend Ken had mentioned that there was a bar in New York City when I was there that recently had a stone tap takeover. And so Mm. I went there for lunch uh, when I was staying, and they had the Oaked Bastard, the Double Bastard, the Lucky... They had all the... The whole, you know, family of bastards. All the bastards. (laughs) Every bastard. All the great bastards. A lot of bastards in New York. And um, I think one out of that... Uh, I really like the Oak Age Bastard quite a bit. Um, and it was on cask, too, which really kind of changed the whole profile to a m- much more this, malty, smoky thing. This is so much milder than I remember. Well, so here's, which here's is funny. something I have this, worth asking. I have asking. this distinct spot burned in my memory <laughs> of, like, in the late 90s, experiencing this beer. I had just moved from California. Um, and I saw stone, you know, the stone West coast beer and I, you know, tried it. I had, I had been in the San Francisco area. So back then we had like Gordon Biersch, uh, you know, Sam Adams was really starting to, to, to take off and become a kind of like a new defining style of beers. But, uh, I remember having this and just being like, what the hell is this? Like, who would drink this? This is so bitter. <laughs> yeah. Like this is this is terrible. That was my first recollection of like a stone was like how bad it was. But then I think something that defines us as humans happened. I kept trying it. <laughs> it was like terrible. Let me have another. Yeah. Still terrible. Let me just make sure. I'll have one more. Well, here's a here's a here's a 
I think, valid question is, is our take on this being the second beer of the episode, are we viewing this as being not quite as bitter because the Molotov light is super bitter and it could be affecting oh, our palate? Absolutely. We've, we've affected our palate. We've, we've oversensitized our taste buds or, or, or desensitized you know, them. What, what, are, what, are, what do neurons have? They have wind up, right? So you, you can overstimulate them and then their response is actually reduced because you've depleted calcium and sorry. <laughs> okay. Chemist. Um, so <laughs> I, th- I think that is, is definitely something we've experienced still. If you went back right now to the Molotov, do that. I'm going to, you talk me into it. The bitterness is still there in the Molotov for me. The Molotov now comes across as sweeter than it was before. You're right. This is freaking um, me out. So the Arrogant Bastard definitely has bitterness. Like, it, it's clearly there, but I think the experience I've had in the last five years has changed my perception of what a bitter beer is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, th- that summer trip when I had the uh, Arrogant Bastard, I remember just thinking it was just a fantastically balanced multi-IPA, and I don't mm-hmm. think that opinion has changed. But I do think that, uh, you know... The, the Molotov light that we had before has really kind of tweaked my expectations for what for what happened when I drank this beer, which in and not an unpleasant way uh, at all. Um, in fact, I guess from now on, I should always drink two beers at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I think that's the that's, way to go. Uh, <laughs> that's my Whenever medical directive. Possible. That's my medical directive is please make sure I always have two beers. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. So, but I would say, uh, you know what? If I find this on tap, I might choose it over many other beers that I'm rating highly in tap cellar right now. Just just because I'm so pleasantly surprised at uh, how enjoyable it is. Uh, did you? It, I want to try it on, on tap. I don't think I've ever had Arrogant Bastard on tap. I'm trying to see if there's any sort of date or anything on this bottle that may have. Oh, there's always an enjoy by date. That's Stone's thing, right? They started. I don't. I don't even know when they started doing that. It's always been there. I'm looking for it. Their I don't deal. see it. I don't see it. Really? Yeah, I don't see it on my bottle. It's. It's. Uh, I just bought this uh, yesterday. I have an admission to make. This was on the. This is on the list. For what we were drinking. Oh, here it is on mine. Is it really? Where is it's it? It's really hard to see because, uh, you know, it's tan print on a dark brown bottle. Um, enjoy by 3-11-2015. Where is it? I don't see it anywhere. It's on the curved part of the bottle um, coming up from the, the thick body up to the neck. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely... It's very, very, very faint, but it's definitely there. And, uh, you know, that's Stone's thing. I wouldn't be surprised. And they do the... They don't do the bottled on uh, for these this variety. They do the enjoy by. Well, it's like I was saying, I didn't. I thought I had a bottle of this uh, in my beer fridge downstairs because we were going to do it. But when I looked through, I noticed that I had the double bastard, so I had to go on a quest. Yeah. Do not age this. It doesn't age well. I can tell you, it turns to paper. Does it really? Well, yeah, yeah. and my double previous experiences. Ages. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe it. Double bastard ages and becomes like malty and 
like pruney and sweet. Hmm. Um, this turn not to, sure that in pruney my is something that makes me want to drink a beer, but okay. Oh, it's it's kind of like raisins except bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. All right, all right. So that was a nice interlude. I definitely like the second beer a lot. Um, I think I still rate Molotov Hawk Molotov Light higher. At um, I don't know where would you get Molotov or let's let's do it at the end. Let's let's do our grades at the end. Uh, okay. Do uh, do we right. do we have a, a sponsor thing before we get into? Yeah, the it's always Tap Seller. Whatever. I don't there know. you go. There's our sponsor break. It's, it's, Good job. Uh, you know, if you like the show, go buy Tap Seller. Tell your friends about it. That's other than that, uh, we don't accept donations unless they're in in a bottle. <laughs> and we definitely accept those. Um, as, as long as the bottle has beer in it. <laughs> Not an empty bottle. Be weird. So uh, I went back while we were sipping on Arrogant Bastard and looked at my meeting notes file, and they go back to 2011, actually, um, May of 2011, in this format. Mm-hmm. That's longer than I thought. <laughs> Interesting. All right. So, so we're going to dig in then to a little bit about the format and what you capture. So you each week you have one file you create for all of your projects. And all of your meetings that go into that. Yes. And they're in markdown format. So you get a header. You know, if you don't know what markdown is, you've probably seen it because nerds like us secretly send it to you in emails. Um, it's basically just like a header is something that begins with a hash symbol and a space. And then you can have text below. And to bold something, you like put two stars and, you know, around it. And that becomes markdown. It's, it's, it's plain text. It, it, to it's me, just a, just a way to highlight and 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 prioritize things with just text. Yeah, and and I've always considered Markdown as kind of like how I always saw name decoration or word decoration or text decoration on things like you know on the internet. You know, like if somebody mm-hmm. wanted to bold something, but there was no bold capability in whatever they were writing in, they just used asterisks to describe mm-hmm. it. And to me, that's why I think it felt so natural as I was seeing it for a long time and not thinking, "Wow, that'd be cool if it." turn that stuff into HTML formatting. Well, now it does. So, uh, yeah, everything, uh, I, I think all of my meetings start with, um, two, you know, pound signs. Um, they bracket the, the meeting name and the date and time. And then after that, it's just a standard outline format with, you know, a, a hyphen with a space and then, you know, indented text. Um, generally the first thing I type is attendees. If there's a bunch of uh, folks attending and then from there, it just flows to whatever the natural flow of the meeting is. Uh, sometimes if there's, if I sit in a meeting and there's really nothing coming out of that meeting, I'll put no text or no notes or something like that, you know, because nothing really oh, just to indicate that, 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 that I didn't, did that, that I didn't fall asleep or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. and there was nothing or, or I didn't store the meeting notes someplace intentionally else. Intentionally left blank. Exactly. <laughs> <Such> <laughs> space intentionally left blank. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So, and, and I, that is just it from Monday morning to, uh, till, you know, Sunday, uh, that's the, the week. Um, obviously I, I'm not often taking notes on Sunday, but, uh, mm-hmm. it happens. So, um, what about you? I do much of the same except for the, you know, single file with, for the week, I, I put it in there and I put a timestamp, date stamp, whatever for the meeting, um, I try to capture the attendees. It's not always easy, especially like if I'm in 
in a meeting that I'm not leading and I don't know everybody on the call or in the meeting and they say their names really fast with accents and I don't capture them. So um, I think doing the attendance list, I think when I was um, less experienced in my job, I thought the attendance list was almost like a punitive thing. Like I want to, I want to record who was an a-hole in this meeting, <laughs> right? Who thought they were better than everybody else? All right. Uh, but then I found, like, the actual value is, for me, is um, in the annotation. So, like, the attendance list allows me to then create an annotation that's, like, uses people's initials to say, this person said that they'll do X. Yeah, that's, that's, or, and that's why I do this person is the person in charge of Y, yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely an attribution type of thing. So, it, you know, I'll have, so if I have a project meeting that has a person's name on it and six months later, you know, after this project is supposed to have been done and that thing didn't get finished and they say, you know, nobody ever told me I had to do that. I mean, I don't want to always use my notes to bludgeon people into... Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that, that's still like the original concept of like the blame game. But that is, that is why, I mean, because... That is definitely a reality of life. Yep. Is if you're going to take responsibility blame. for something, because generally that's happening because they didn't think anybody was writing anything down. And there's always somebody else to blame. Like, hey, nobody else told me, you know, Jeff, why didn't you email yeah. me that this needed to get done? And I could say, well, we talked about it in that meeting. And if there was no, like, uh, hey, I don't remember that, I can say, well, you know, when we were releasing this thing on this date, and you were one of the people in that meeting saying you were going to take care of it. And, you know. But, but meeting a list for me, initially, I had lofty goals of, like, I don't want to be that guy that's blaming everybody for not doing the thing because I'm the project manager. Ultimately I'm to blame. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then over time I started to appreciate there's, there's additional value there other than like who you can blame, who you can pass the buck to. It was like being able to make a note. This person knows how to do X. This person chimed in with like this authoritative, response on this subject so that's a good person to talk to about like oh you need you need to figure out how to join these tables like what's the best way to join these tables this person knows like that schema like really really well yeah uh, that's good i mean i think but but i do think that accountability when you're trying to build accountability um, when you're in a group of folks who maybe has been skirting it for a while, getting them used to the fact that... <laughs> it sounds like there's some history maybe, there that you might need to uh, talk about. But perhaps. Um, but, um, but I think hmm. if you start drawing, you know, connecting the dots and say, you know, you know, you got to pay attention to what you say. If you say you're going to do something, you've got to do it. And hopefully doing that is... It's not something, it's not a card I pull out of my sleeve very often, let's put it that way. But... Um, I think you're trying to. I'll, t I'll, I'll give you one. Okay. If you, if, whoever says please don't take notes at this meeting, <laughs> definitely highlight them in, in the attendees the list yeah. because, because they're up to no good. Yeah. Or when they ask in a panic, I, wait, did you, you write that, that down? Or somebody, no. Somebody said don't take notes. No. So mm -hmm. Thank goodness. You haven't met with enough lawyers. Oh yeah, you're uh, probably right. <laughs> I have a couple other things that I throw in that. I think I came up with just through experience. Okay, let's hear them. One is quotes, like literally quotes around text, like with somebody's 
uh, with the attribution right? to say like this person said this exact thing. Partly that I do that because, you know, words are confusing and people will say things and I, I interpret them one way and maybe they meant them a different way. So sometimes the quote actually helps later when I'm trying to figure out like, what the hell or why did we do this? And then somebody said this exact thing. Oh, okay. Here, now I know what, how I got this idea or why we went about this way. Um, that's something that goes back to my days as a scientist when we had to capture like inventorship. Mm. Like who, who was the inventor of an idea? Because that matters for patents and stuff like gotcha. that. Right. Yeah. I'd never heard so, of that. So like actually quoting or making an annotation, like this person is responsible for this idea. That was one. And then, uh, you know, to do some self-promotion here, <laughs> I use critic markup. Ah, yeah. Right. For what's critic markup, Gabe. <sighs> It's uh, plain text annotations for um, doing editorial reviews, typically. So, like, how to mark deletions, additions to text in a plain text way. So, mm-hmm. it's something I worked on with my buddy Eric Hess, and uh, I really love it. So, if no one else in the world uses it but me, then I'm still happy that we did it. It's a very specific syntax, but I use it for meeting notes for questions and answers, quite often. So we have something called a critic markup um, comment. That's a curly brace, then um, a greater than, greater than, I don't know, greater than, less than, whatever. Um, then some text, and then you close the, the series off. I don't know. Go, go to criticmarkup.com. You'll see. It's all there. But I use Q&A like through my notes to say like, as I'm, as I'm listening to somebody talk, if I have a question I want to follow up with, I put the, put that little annotation there. Then I write my question. And then later on, you know, typically in the meetings I'm in, we do questions, not contemporaneously. We do them, you know, at the end or, uh, after the person has given their presentation or whatever. So it allows me to like follow up with my questions and then put their answer in inserted directly below my question. So I can see like what I asked and what they responded. And I use that a lot. Like the question answer thing, like that's, that's just the format of my, my meetings. Mm -hmm. So we use that a whole lot. So, um, one of the things that I started thinking about when this topic came up is I thought that is uh, the first, my first thought was that is the, the nerdiest topic, um, like meeting notes that's pretty nerdy. Uh, but it also is fairly... It, it, did, did I tell you what the name of the show uh, is? I picked up on that. But the, the other thing that's interesting is that they, they, these things actually help me when I'm not at work. And I thought it, I could just describe a little <laughs> when bit... When you're just hanging out with your wife. No, no. You're so, like, what do you want for dinner tomorrow? <laughs> Quote, I don't care. Yeah, no, that's Your not quite choice. that bad. But like, uh, I Time use it stamp. for um, uh, talking with con- um, contractors or oh, people yeah. who I'm doing, uh, you know, like cable company discussions or utility discussions or whatever, is those things get included in you know, the same format. Um, I often don't include them in my work stuff, but I'll create a task, you know, I'll create a text file. I'll start taking notes. So I have actually a whole, this is a, a boy, this is a 
another discussion, but I have a document that is basically a text markdown text file for my house. And it's a lot of important data and neighbor information and stuff, but I also keep notes uh, on meetings with contractors and utilities and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So, uh, you know, when I was calling around for uh, wood pellets for the pellet stove, I called maybe six folks, you know, six companies trying to, you know, have conversations with them about can we get them delivered and when and where and how much. All of those notes proved so useful when I was trying to find, you know, the second batch of pellets for the rest of the winter because I had, you know, who I talked to and when it was and, you know, how much the delivery was and stuff. And I think there's value for everybody to, my memory's terrible. And, you know, keeping notes on a paper pad, they get lost and you can't find them again. And that was always my big thing with, um, I used to uh, take notes on these these uh, notepads that I carried with me everywhere. But I don't know, I could never find something, you know, again, after I wrote it. Or if it was past, if it was two, two or three notebooks past, how do you remember which one it was? Like, you can put dates, but if you don't really have any context or ability to search them, what do you do? Um, that was kind of before I started, you know, putting all these things in electronic format. But, you know, back to the earlier point, I think if you have the types of notes that you take for contractors or part numbers or things like that, it makes it so much easier to search through those, you know, those reams of data that we kind of collect. If if we're going to diverge into notes, this is a four hour show. (laughs) Yeah. I, I write, I'm neurotic at writing stuff down. Notes are, if someone cloned me, they wouldn't need to clone my brain. They could just take the clone and give them my collection of notes. (laughs) That's like everything I know in the world. Like, no joke, my wife's shoe size, her ring size, her like birthstone, like all that kind of stuff is in notes. I don't have to remember it. I just look it up. I have a file called wife. <laughs> and, and everything. So a there. file called wife. <laughs> I apologize if she hears this show. Okay. I do have a file called wife. I don't think we need to record this it's show anymore. I think we've hit the end of. <laughs> <laughs> the nerdiest thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, okay. You know, I look at it as a sign of love. <laughs> I do not have a file called Jeff. <laughs> okay, good. So, <laughs> I'm somewhat um, comforted. I have a file called Wife. All right. All right. <laughs> Get this train back okay. on track. Meeting notes. Um, all right. So the critic markup thing, question and answer. One thing I liked about that is I can take it in like, it's pretty distinctive. You're not going to have these characters in this sequence anywhere else. So searching for Q&A is really easy um, to figure out what your questions and answers were from that session or discussion or whatever. The second thing is applications like Marked. I wish I had a Mac at work. This would be awesome. But they automatically handle critic markup. And there's a mode that basically if you turn critic markup on, you can view your text where because these are comments, they're hidden. So in a way, like you can quickly, like immediately get the note summary without including your questions. Oh, that's and pretty I cool. Highly recommend not sending out note summaries with your questions <laughs> because sometimes 
they're written in a way that isn't totally flattering. I I actually was looking through a few of my old note things, and and maybe I shouldn't always send meeting notes out after every meeting because some oh, yeah. of them are kind of parentheticals or comments about something that someone said. Because when you said you know I put things in quotes and attribute attribute them to people, mm. um, there are times when I'll say something very uncomplimentary of like, it, did they really just say that or? You know, things that I want to remember. This is going to haunt yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so good good thing to write down. Yeah, so um, I guess, I, you know, that's, I'm biased. Critic Markup was basically, like, written specifically for Eric and I to work together. Um, so I like it because it fits me. Uh, but I also find tremendous value in using it in my meeting notes. I really do use it a lot. Like, I have um, shortcuts just to expand them. CM, what is it? CMCOM is my critic markup comment uh, shortcut. And it, it inserts all the proper formatting and then puts the cursor right in the middle so I can start typing. Very handy. Um, I actually use that sometimes too. And I love that Mark, uh, Marked, as you mentioned, supports it, which is great. Yep. It's pretty. I love Marked. I just, I'm so jealous of you people with the Macs at work. <laughs> yeah. I use it all the time. It's my default. Did I mention build? I use IE8 every single day. <laughs> Um, so quotes, then the critic markup, and then, um, I use on plain paper, uh, I cross out as I transcribe, as I execute on things, I scribble out like, you know, a line through things to know that this writing on the paper isn't relevant to anything anymore. And this, this page could, you know, this particular piece of text could disappear and it'd be fine. I have it somewhere else or I've already executed on it. So paper notes and spe- you know, specifically that's an important piece for me because I know that I've transcribed things that are crossed out or I've done something with it. That's a good idea. Um, you know, I, my field notes f- fulfill the same function. Um, if there's something that I scribble down in there, it's generally something that I need to remember, maybe short term, but if it's, if it's something I need to, you know, stick into another note someplace and I just didn't want to dig through it during the meeting, um, I'll do the same thing. I have, I actually use the dash plus system, Patrick Roan system for that stuff because I don't like crossing hmm. things out and not seeing them, but we can save that for another show on notes, which. Oh, well, I don't, I don't like obliterate them with a Sharpie. <laughs> It's just a line through it. I can still see it. Well, you know, may call me nerdy. <laughs> that is this podcast. But yeah, I, I use that system a lot. I have a, a stencil. <laughs> I just, I have a stencil that looks like a plus symbol. And I break out my point three pencil. <laughs> I don't need a stencil, but yeah. I just, okay. you know, it, it, basically every task, uh, everything that I write down has a, has a hyphen in front of it. And I'll just put a you know, vertical line through it saying, this has been transcribed. So there's little pluses next to everything that I've done something with, yeah, and yeah. anything that's not, it's, it remains a hyphen. So anyway, not that nerdy, kind of useful. I use uh, I use ast- you know, the old I use asterisks in my paper notebook to indicate like this is pretty dang critical and do something with it immediately. Uh, versus other things that are notes that I can transcribe when I have time. Yeah, I'm really curious about how you do that transcription because I'm too lazy probably and maybe not disciplined enough to go back hmm. and do it. Uh, you just do you always – see, the issue is I some days have back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings. And so – yeah. That's you know, and then so, yeah, the next day or whenever, like I'm always afraid I'm going to get too far behind. And so on the days 
when I can't carry my laptop for whatever reason, I'll generally carry a, an iPad, which has a keyboard attached. So it's, mm-hmm. it's as good as having a laptop, and I'll do everything in editorial. Saint- um, tra- transcription is such a – it's like – it's part of like my review – just like you have daily and weekly reviews for projects, I review my notes. Like I'll sit down on like a Monday or a Friday and go through my notebook and things without crosses. I'll make sure I transcribe. It's just like part of my normal thing. Mm-hmm. Did you ever use um, the Cornell note system? No, what's that? It was this way to take notes in college. I actually stumbled across it on accident. It turned out I had like been using it and not known like i i just invented it as part of my like (laughs) like you know getting one of the advantages to going to college right is that you kind of learn how to learn yeah oh no totally right and that was one of the things that i learned how to do um which was take notes effectively and the cornell system is is a nice way to take notes where you have like the page broken down in like three sections and there's a section where you take like your live notes and there's a section where you like write like ideas and questions and all that stuff um but part of the cornell system i think that, that makes it effective is like transcribing afterwards because it's like this reinforcement of what you've learned and and thinking through it again to make sure that your notes make sense to yeah, you. Yeah, that would have been really useful to have in high school and college. I generally got done writing notes at the end of a class or a meeting and would see the writing and be so bad yeah. and I wouldn't know what it was. I would just want to burn the notebook after every meeting. I was just get so frustrated. It wasn't until I started typing everything out. I, I think it just helps me organize my thoughts because if something is maybe in the wrong order or I used an incorrect phrase, I can just move it around and change it in an instant. And mm-hmm. I end up with meeting notes that are way, way better than they used to be, you know, even five or six years ago. Um, and I use them a lot more. I find I, I find I use that data that I've captured um, 10 times more than I used to when I would just basically... Yeah. I found that when I was taking notes before, it, um, I was basically using the words themselves, the act of writing it down to ingrain it in my memory, as opposed to having something to refer back to, because my mind works very visually. So I can imagine the page, you know, <laughs> like I was trying to mm-hmm. remember something, but the words themselves, like the act of transcribing would actually ruin that kind of in-the-moment spatial capture that I do. I don't know. It's kind of a strange thing to well, describe. That's, that's against all scientific studies on the method. Perfect. <laughs> the method, Excellent. But, but uh, um, like a key part of the Cornell system is the trans- – during the trans- transcription process uh, – keep in mind, this is two beers in um, – <laughs> that you – during that transcription, you start evaluating the subject and writing questions – and summaries of the of that actual you know class lecture or whatever the topic was i find that uh, i don't have that much time in the real world to do that <laughs> like to to like re-experience the meeting <laughs> i have too many meetings yeah. to go it was through so fun like, you want to do it again yeah let's think again about what would have been good questions <laughs> to ask at this meeting <laughs> like I, I i don't have time to do that but the transcription process i still do find very um valuable so it's just like like a a, rewriting things in yeah and taking your time to rewrite things um for your future self 
right? Like for the version of you that's going to look back six months from now and be like, I don't know what that shorthand is. <laughs> like I, who was this person that wrote this? I don't know what this means. Or, uh, you know, clearly I knew something then that I have since forgotten and I don't understand why I wrote this down like that, that I kind of fix during the transcription process a little bit of like adding some extra detail. No, that, that, extra I can find that being really helpful. And that, that is one of the things that the, the typewritten notes help me do is I can, yeah. I can add color and commentary around things, you know, before I send them out or whatever. Yeah, I write a ton of extra yeah. stuff in yeah. there, which I don't do in my field notes, partly because the page is so small, uh, but partly because, like, scribbling on a page is, for me, less efficient than typing. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the main reasons why I try and keep everything typed, if I can, because I'm just yeah. much more efficient at it. And, you know, having that outward brain is it's such a, I don't know, comfort sounds like a weird word to use, but... Um, like you said, I could, I could transfer that document, um, directory to somebody and they would have every meeting I had attended and all the things that people had said for four years, which is pretty, pretty cool and powerful if, if they really needed it. So, yes. To summarize this show. Yes. I, I, do not have a Jeff file. Okay, that's good. Um, Excellent. You do things that don't make sense to that me. Also, uh, probably a compliment. Thank you. And these are two excellent beers that we haven't yet, have not yet graded. Ah, good point. Okay, so let me go through. I'm going to look in Tap Cellar. I have a Nerds on Draft saved view. I'm going to go to that because all of these beers are in there. And I'll tell you what I've rated them. What did you rate them? I rated um, the Molotov Light as an A. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it quite makes it to an A plus for me. The Arrogant Bastard is a solid B, and to me, a B is a very good beer. I would totally order Arrogant Bastard in a bar on tap, um, but there's still a ton more beers that I like better than Arrogant Bastard. Um. So when we started testing Tap Cellar last summer, I was on that trip. And Arrogant Bastard, as I'd mentioned on that trip, was one of those beers. And it came in as an A because it was so good. But I have changed. I have since downgraded that to an A-. minus. Hmm. Um, because, um, again, we talk about this every show when I'm looking at the things that are rated around it. I still kind of prefer it. Um, now, the Molotov Light, also an A-. minus. So, take that for what you will. Yeah, see, for this uh, for this to move beyond a B, it would have to be better than uh, Triple Hop by Parat, which I give a B+. Plus. I haven't had that. Let me see what I have. How about uh, Golden Monkey for Victory? I'm not going to be plus for I'm me. I'm not going to mention what I have for that grade. What? Yeah. I'm not going to say. It's fine. I mean, I have it's low. Of... It's low. It's a low grade. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me. I'm trying to find. Uh, I'm looking Parat. at my. How about just Parade? Just regular old Parade. Um, let me let me find it here. I'm looking through my entire uh, grade list. So yeah, Parade was an A minus. Hmm. So I give it a B plus. Really? So I would say this is in a hublon. 
This is this is below those in my opinion. It's still an excellent. That's a thing. Like I'm pretty stingy with grades, but on the other hand, I consider a B a really good grade. I was heck, I was a B student for the most part. <laughs> so, well, actually, I think Bs are great. So I should mention though that the arrogant bastard is is just slightly better than the Parat in my grading. Oh, okay. So it's 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 right above Captain's Reserve Imperial IPA, which I think is a fantastic beer. Um, and just below, kind of a, uh, a dark horse as far as beers go, Guilty Filthy Soul, which I think I sent you one of. It's a, it's a Duclaw beer, and that, that beer really surprised me. I like that beer a lot, and it's hmm. slightly under that. Now the... Um, let me see. Let's go. Did you send that to me? I thought I did, but maybe I didn't. Um, let me look through my others. I have one set aside to send you if I haven't. Let's put it that way. So, I, okay, what what do you think of the characteristics now? Um, pretty far into this, the barbecue flavor really comes out to me on the on the arrogant bastard. Like I really taste like that that. Ch- not charred it's not like astringent but like that nice woody barbecue flavor um, i get a little bit of that but it, you are making me really hungry i'll say that much <laughs> God. a nice juicy charred <laughs> yeah, steak no, with like a uh, barbecue pulled pork barbecue would be delicious like, yeah no it it's uh it's a great beer i think for um well barbecue. yeah I, I think it's a great beer to have with like a nice like um Heavy meal. Yeah. I want to have one of those right now. That heavy meal you're talking about. I haven't eaten yet today. So, um, But the Molotov Light um, stands on its own. A lot of pepper coming out now. A lot of lemon. Lemongrass I'm tasting now. Now that's warmed up to... Oh, let's see. Get out of here. Yeah, it's a definitely... A, it's such a different 63 character. degrees. 63. 63.1. Much more vegetal flavors. Kind of where you're picking up that lemongrass and stuff. Yeah. I'm getting more vegetal flavors. Not in a bad way, but uh, much more over the top on the bitterness. Holy crow. Um, whereas the Arrogant Bastard has gotten smoother as it's, as it's warmed. I think the Molotov mm-hmm. Light has gotten more uh, biting in its bitterness. Yeah. Not in a bad way, because yeah. I, I love a bitter beer. But, um, you know, if I need to take pain off the deck, I know which one I'm going to take out with me. All right. So what would you give a Molotov? A minus. A minus. Yeah. Okay. I could I all could right. drink this beer all day long. In fact, I plan on it. <laughs> Unfortunately, actually, okay. I know. this, this and, is my last until, one until you're not conscious. Because <laughs> yeah. even at eight point two, that's yeah, you're, like you're not getting up soon. No, which, actually, which is totally hilarious. Now our generation, or maybe I don't know if it's our generation or not, but now eight point two is considered a low alcohol beer. I know it's bananas, uh, but this is. Um, you know, I guess it saves on buying a lot of beers because um, you don't. It doesn't take many of these to. Uh, I'm done for the day. <laughs> I got I got stuff that I need to do. Yeah, well, good luck doing that. Uh, both beers, I would say, highly recommended. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely look for them. Well, I'm going to put these in my meeting notes. Arrogant bastard should not be hard to find, man. No, I actually, um, yesterday when I was looking for it, I called one place. First place I called, yeah, we got plenty of it. Come down and get it. So it was was not a lot of searching. Molotov light, harder. Yeah, I've only ever seen it in one place. And they have, it comes in a can and four packs generally. And I bought one four pack. And I thought, they're they're nice, big, tall. Yep. One. Oh, man. One pint. Yeah. 
per can, and I just realized I have a bunch left in this can. I do too. I, well, I only poured a little bit in each glass, and I've been sipping it slowly because I need to kind of remain coherent uh, while we do the show. But uh, I have a lot more beer to drink this afternoon. A plus. You know what? I just realized my wife note needs to include her favorite beers. Uh, mine. So I've I've got to go and update my wife note. <laughs> okay, man. Have a good week. Yeah. Talk to See you later. Ya.